This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. I love the bottom. Good morning. Good morning. I'm realizing I don't have my earbuds in. Draven's going to kill me. Uh, so I'm going to do that as we talk and mess things up. But good morning. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're coming to you live this morning. This is the last live show that we know of uh, in 2021. If something big were to happen, I guess that there's a possibility that we would uh, come back on the air live, but we do have programming throughout this next, uh, little break that we'll talk about in just a second. But right now I want to make sure that you guys all see and hear from, uh, Dr. Grafiche. Dr. Doreen Grafiche is here with us. She is a true expert in the field of autism, a visionary, as I say, in the opening in the field of autism. And we're so lucky to have this opportunity to be with her in this format. She's going to be answering your questions. So good, good morning, Dr. Grafiche. How are you? I'm well, thank you so much, Shannon, and good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be here again and happy to jump into our questions and, and see what we got today. Yeah, absolutely. Before I jump to that, though, let me remind everybody, because we're live, we are taking live comments. Like I see Gamal is here with us already saying hello. Uh, if you want to write in, we're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and on autismnetwork.com. Today is a great day to tootle over there, autismnetwork.com, and see how you can watch the show when it is live on that on our new network. Um, <clears throat> but we will also podcast this show. It'll be available wherever you get your podcasts as a free download. Good afternoon, Parker. So thrilled to have you here with us. Um, but see, that's how you write in to ask a question. Our favorite part of this hour is your interaction. We do ask you to remember that there is no autism expert, uh, there's no expert period, who can give individual specific advice in this format. So put, ask your question in whatever format that you're watching right now, um, and then uh, we will put it to Dr. Grampiche for her wealth of knowledge, and she will answer your question in general terms, but she can't give individual specific terms because she hasn't had eyes on the individual and that would be disrespectful to assume anything other than that. Did I get that about right, Dr. Grampiche? That's exactly right. Yeah, we want to be helpful, but we usually, I'll actually, when I read your question, I will always come back and tell you, you know, this is as, as much as I can tell you based on not the information you've given. I don't know your child or yourself. Sometimes we get questions from autistic individuals themselves. And so I just want to be cautious and I will 
if it's difficult to answer, I will always tell you uh, to seek out the appropriate professional. Yes. And I want to start today with a question that uh, came in in the last 48 hours on our live feature, and it's a heartbreaker. Um, so everybody needs to take a deep breath. We're going to wade in here because it starts with, please, God, help me. I'm not a parent, but I'm the youngest child in the family. This individual identifies themselves as being 20 years old. My mom, 59, has scoliosis, has extreme back pain, arthritis, one working eye upon other issues, including depression. My sister, 25, has autism. She talks and makes noises constantly, repeating things she's heard over and over and over again. I'm not sure if echolalia is the right term for that, but it's close enough. This happens every day, all day, even when she's eating or trying to fall asleep. I've put up with it for my 20 years of living with her. I'm more or less numb to it now, but sometimes one of her noises or sayings really gets to me. I used to be the most, uh, the one most upset by her, but now it seems that my mom can't take it anymore. The past few months, she has been increasingly more and more stressed at her wit's end and trying to ease my sister's constant rambling. She keeps saying that she can't take it anymore and at one point gestured a motion of strangulation towards her while her back was turned. We've tried everything, but it seems we're too far gone to control her. Ignoring her does nothing. She will keep doing whatever she's doing. Yelling at her does nothing either. She will think it's funny and laugh at you. Taking her belongings away from her makes it worse. My mom tried to take her iPad, the only thing she plays on all day, away. And she grabbed my hold of my mom's arm very tightly. She hurt her. There's a huge bruise near her elbow now. I just don't know what to do anymore. Mom being stressed directly affects me as she usually will be unable to control her anger and take it out on me by yelling. Mom says she can't help it. Sister can't help being autistic. And I can't help being so effing done with the situation. I'm so tired. I just want peace. We don't have a car. We live in an apartment. There's no other options. We can't do anything. Every solution that we've come up with ends with us being too poor to go through with it. I feel like someone is going to snap one of these days. It could be any of us. Please, God, help me. So deep breath on behalf of this young person who um, is so intelligent and such a caring person to be, I think, to be looking at you know, the needs of their sister and the needs of their mom in addition to their own needs. But it's, we need a lot of help here, Dr. Grampiche. Where yeah. do you want to wade in? Oh, this is so heartbreaking. Um, I guess I want to start by, I hope that this person is listening and will send us, send you, Shannon, their direct information so that I can uh, be in contact directly. I would like to... Uh, see what we can do for you through my nonprofit act, Autism Care Today. I don't know where you live. I'd like to know that because if you live in uh, certain states, there are there is help. If you are in California, for instance, uh, we could help you get respite care from the regional center system. A lot of other states also provide that under the title of developmental disabilities uh, funding. So I would love to be able to help you get some respite, which is essentially a person comes and stays with your sister and takes care of your sister so that you and your mom can get out and can do something uh, 
just outside of the apartment, even, even if it's a matter of just going for a walk or something like that. I also want to offer uh, to buy through ACT, my, the nonprofit that I founded, um, a set of noise-canceling headphones for your sister. Um, because I think a lot of times when our um, kids make these repetitive sounds, it's because of the sound they hear. So they produce a sound that they hear and they continue to do that repeatedly. And yes, it can become very, very difficult for others. Um, but I think if we are able to give your sister a couple of things, like uh, one of those giant bean bags in the corner of the room and a set of uh, noise canceling headphones, she might, and her iPad, she might be able to go to that area and stay calm. And the, usually the noise canceling headphones will start reducing the, the repetitive sounds because the individual is now listening to music or something else and they're not hearing themselves make those sounds. So it, you kind of break the circuit that way and, and then they stop. So I'd like to get all those things for you just as an immediate source of help. But more importantly, it would be good to know where you are because there are some resources that might be helpful and we'd love to be able to connect you with those. Um, I think that's the most urgent thing. You know, once things are a little bit more settled, if you stay in touch with us, um, we might be able to guide you to do other things that can get you out of the apartment and can get you and your mom uh, to start feeling a little bit better uh, this coming year. It's very, very difficult, Shannon. My heart goes out to this family. Absolutely. I, you know, I know that it's really hard for all of us when we're in it um, and somebody says respite and it feels like that's just another mountain to climb. Yeah. Um, and, and what I hear a lot of caregivers say is, oh, we tried that once and it didn't work out, which is all that all too common, but you can't give up on that respite. I, I, like I could put parents in a room and say, everybody that is feeling so completely overwhelmed that you can't stand it anymore, stand on this side. And everybody who's just overwhelmed and managing it, stand over this side. And we could go down the line and say, which, which group is having respite? And the group that's managing it would be all people who have managed to figure out the respite piece. And, there, and it does take figuring out and you have to be willing to do it. And I'll be honest with you, the first time that you or your mom gets respite and you, you leave the house to go work for an hour or something, it's going to feel like this isn't going to be enough. I need like a five week respite, but it starts with that one hour. Because if, if we gave you five weeks off, you'd be so worried about your sister, right? So it starts with that one hour, you get used to one hour, and then gradually for you and for her, you get used to two hours, and eventually it feels like a break. But it is, it's like a muscle, you got to massage, like pizza dough, you got to pull, you got to be willing to do it, and you, and you got to keep, keep on it, or it snaps back. So, I mean, like, once you are, as Shannon said, because I, I know how it feels when you're hopeless and, you, and you've given up and, and you don't want to deal with anything. But 
once you have a little respite, there's other things like we, you know, your sister is eligible to get ABA therapy at wherever you are. And we would then work on trying to figure out, even if you're on Medicaid, you know, and we would be able to find an agency and try to help you get ABA therapy, which then will completely change things as well. And, you know, either someone would come to the apartment or we'd figure out how to get your sister to a center. There's all these, there are things that are a little bit difficult to access. And that's kind of where we would be happy to help guide you a little bit so that you can step by step get help because the ideal goal is to get to a point where your mom is maybe taking some antidepressants and not feeling awful about everything. Your sister is is busy with either ABA learning the vocational skill, learning how to entertain herself appropriately. And you, uh, as a 20-year-old, can continue to thrive and live your life. So there's a little work to be done to get you all to that point. But it isn't impossible, and it is abs- we're absolutely here to support you. Absolutely. I want to add one more log to this fire, Dr. Grandfichet, that when, when my son was young, I couldn't imagine the circumstance of a day when my son was not going to live with yeah. Uh, especially if he continued to have um, the challenges that he had when he was three. It was like, well, no, that's just going to be the rest of our lives. And if that's what I need to do, I'm going to take care of him. And I hear that from so many families that it, it's sort of like this weird thing that the the little, the little, you know, radio button that says, and eventually your child will move off when you, when your child gets a diagnosis of autism, we just automatically shift that to off. And think this is this is their lot in life and our lot in life. And I've learned over the years that just isn't true. And that I've heard from parents who have said, no, that like every other child in our family, we need to be looking for how do these individuals emancipate into their own lives. If that means not the not the horrific thing of our nightmares where they're placed in a facility where we never see them and it's horrible and they're you know, bad things happen to them. I now have seen the real thing and it has to be researched and it has to be looked for, but I see real families that are thriving because their son or daughter lives a mile down the road. They go yeah. pick them up for dinner on Tuesday night to go and then go play bingo. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the, 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 that adult child that at some point during dinners tells them, you know, whether it's on an iPad or sign or with vocal language, I want, I'm ready to go home now. Yeah. Just like you and I say, I had a good time and now I'm ready to go home. Yeah. Um, so I want to put it into the, into the mind of this 20 year old that there are options for your sister to eventually live somewhere else and and have her be happy and okay yes that is an option takes work but it is an option absolutely absolutely okay um i want to do just a little bit of a a, a palate cleanse because we have not finished <laughs> we've, we've tried and tried and tried to finish the toy guide and we saved the books for last dr grandfichet so we have to very okay. quickly go through our winners uh, and so, Trayvon, I see that you've got one up there. Should we start with the caregivers? The caregiver award? That's the one that I see you have up, Trayvon. 
So Shannon, will you make sure if that person responds, you can let me know? Yes, we do want to let people know that this person wrote in on the live feature, which means we do not have access to where they are, who they are. You'll need to identify yourself. Uh, you can write to me at uh, Shannon at autism-live.com, and I'll be happy to get back to you and to share your information with Dr. Pantashev. Okay, we're going to start with the baby toddlers for our book award. And this is, these are the best books this year. Some of them are oldies, some of them are, but they're all goodies. So in the baby toddler category, uh, there's a wonderful board book called Where's the Bear? And I think Trayvon's going to show that to you guys right now. I love um, board books that ask questions, Dr. Grampy-Shape, not necessarily just for the child, but for the caregivers, because I, over the years I have learned that a lot of caregivers say, I'm not really sure how to read to my kiddo. I see other people doing things and nobody ever taught me how to do that. And I love books like this where it has built-in interaction for the toddler and that's from Discovery Toys. Uh, do you want to, uh, tell me when you want to comment, Dr. Grampy-Shay, otherwise I'm going to plow on. No, please go right ahead. Okay, so our next category is our preschool category. And uh, the, the winner in this category, I don't have it in front of me, Trayvon, so I'm waiting on you. And we're stuck. I'll bring it up. Uh, I should say too that the reason why all of these were chosen uh, is because uh, they there was something about them that I felt added, and our team felt added to our kiddos on the spectrum. I don't think I have it up anywhere. I know what this. No, oh, there it is. Oh, and it's a fabulous one too. Uh, the Don't Worry book from Todd Parr, who's a fantastic artist you may be familiar with. Uh, and I love this because it has a bunch of things that are appropriate for a preschooler where we talk about worry in a real sense and what it is and what, how to manage it. So this is a great, um, base, you know, for, for building lots of things on to talk about anxiety with our kiddos on the spectrum, off the spectrum, really love it and love the illustrations. Now our, uh, school age winner, we have talked about a couple of different times because we've had, uh, the young woman who wrote this rainbow Mosho on the show many times. This is a fabulous book called balloons that is written by a 13 year old on the spectrum where she talks about OCD in a way that is appropriate for school aged kids right out of the mouth of, uh, mouths of babes, right? Uh, a really fantastic book along with her other books. We were so happy to share this in this year's guide. And then as we go on to our tween and teen category, it's one of my favorite books of all time. Madeline Langle, A Wrinkle in Time. Dr. Grampy-Shay, did your kids read this book? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Shannon. So this is a, a Newberry, uh, or is it a Caldecott? I'm not sure, but it's a many award-winning book. A trivia for anybody, you know how we always say it was a dark and stormy night when we start to tell a tale? Well, uh, I don't think many people know that that is from A Wrinkle in Time. It's the first line in A Wrinkle in Time. Now, I've always loved this book when I was a school teacher. This was always the book that I wanted to read with my class because it ignites minds and hearts. But here's the really cool thing about why I love it for tweens and teens on the autism spectrum, because there is a theme that goes through this book that deals with, I believe, autism, uh, although they never use the words ever, that two of the main characters um, in the story 
describe themselves in, in a way that I think most people now would look at it and go, that must be somewhere on the spectrum. And they're very different from each other. Um, but the kinds of things that they struggle with are the same kinds of things that your tweens and teens are going to struggle with. And, and yet it's a very empowering book about what they do with their differences and how it's okay to be different. So when, when somebody um, calls me up, Dr. Grant Pichet, and says, I've got a teenager and I, is there something, a book that I can give them about autism? I tell them this book um, mm -hmm. because it doesn't use the words and it creates a base from which to talk about. I love Madeline Lingle. And I'm so happy that I got to meet her in my life and tell her how much her books had meant to me. So one of my favorites, I could wax poetic about it forever. Was this a favorite in your house, Dr. Grant? Absolutely, absolutely it was. It still is. We love this book. But I have to say, Shannon, I'm just amazed. All of these books you've presented so far are outstanding. Like, where is that worry book when I was, when I had little kids? Like, these are amazing right. books. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. We took some time to do this. So moving on to our adult category, we're especially proud to be adding this one, We're Not Broken, Changing the Autism Conversation by Eric Garcia. We put this in the adult category because we think that adults need this to empower them. But we also said that um, this is a great book for everyone, that this is a book for everybody to read from the point of view of someone on the spectrum about how we talk about autism, how we look at it, and that perhaps maybe we're looking at it with the wrong lens. Um, so a fascinating book. It was a it was a bestseller this year, so it's very timely that we celebrate Eric. We have reached out to Eric. He has not uh, yet had the time because he's been too busy with other venues, but we hope at some point he will grace us with his presence to talk about this wonderful book. And then rounding to home plate, uh, of course, for our caregivers, uh, several times this year when we had Dr. Temple Grandin on, she brought up this new book of hers uh, about navigating autism, nine different mindsets sets for helping kids on the spectrum. And she was very vocal about how helpful, helpful and useful Deborah Moore was, Dr. Moore, working on this book with her. So it's, it's just another in a long line of books from Dr. Temple Grandin that we recommend a good read, uh, not maybe, maybe not a beach read, but a good read over this holiday break that you might want to check out. So those are our uh, book winners. And we officially have, have shown you everything that's in the toy guide throughout the month. So I'm very happy to put a period at the end of that sentence. Uh, okay. I want to go to a question that has come in live from Pearl. Pearl says that her son is high functioning uh, but he asks many questions. Uh, I think it's she's saying that he doesn't ask many questions about his daily life activities. You might want to clarify for me, Pearl. Um, but he's, or maybe he does. I don't. But he is lacking um, this skill in his academics. We're using skills. Congratulations. Currently working on his language, cognitive, and social skills. So um, I think we need the clarification. She says. I think. Uh, He's, she's just saying that he, while he does ask some questions in daily life, he doesn't apply that, you know, the skill of question asking to academics, which, uh, Pearl, I don't, I assume if you're working, I, I, I don't know, actually, because skills used to be available to the public. It isn't right now. But if you are working with skills, then you, there is an academic curriculum. And there's a, a portion of that which talks about, you know, like 
a lot of these types of things will come if you work on the academic portion. Um, you could also just go through uh, your supervisor, your BCBA, and ask to have access to the academic portion. A lot of times, because our families at CARD, the families are, or most providers, are funded through health insurance. Uh, the provider, whether it's CARD or someone else, the, is not allowed to do academic work because uh, funding requires you to limit yourself to medical necessity type activities and not academics, unless you have funding from the school district. So, but you as a parent should have access to all parts of your child's skills program. So ask your supervisor, they can release access to you so you can go in and play around with the academic portion and it'll be wonderful for you. You'll enjoy that. Wonderful. And uh, Amanda has just commented and said, oh no, I didn't know skills wasn't available to the public anymore. Um, not at this time, only to people who were previously using it. We hope that will change in the future. Um, but, uh, Parker, thank you so much here. Uh, Parker says, here's my last question of the year. Since the holidays are in a few days, a lot of people are anxious, myself included about the holidays. Any advice for handling the holidays like a pro? I'm, I'm going to get a pencil out and take notes because I don't think I'm handling it like a pro, Dr. Grant-Fichet. Go ahead. Tell us. Parker, Parker, you're the best. First of all, I also wanted to mention, Shannon, I think we missed that Parker had shared that previous email um, because he's, he's so helpful, unbelievably helpful to people. That's amazing, Parker. What a wonderful way to just help people is, you know, find their questions or issues on, on another social media site and then post it so that we can help and answer. Thank you for that, Parker. That's pretty amazing of you. Um, I, so the holidays, you, you caught me off guard. So let me think a little bit because I was just about to actually write a, a, a short article for this year and then it got really late, but many years ago we did cover this subject because the holidays are difficult. So, um, Shannon, help me out and, and we can throw ideas here because like it starts with, I think the first one for me always, when I had young kids, it started with sugar. <laughs> it was like I had to prepare the whole house because as soon as the kids got their hands on all the candy and cookies and brownies and sugar that was around the house at that time of the year, everybody uh, became hyperactive and uh, just sensitive. And, you know, the holidays would not turn out the way I wanted them to. So, there was always a, I would hide the excess sugar that came into the house and then I would also limit it, right? So that was kind of one of our things that was very important. So that's one of my just beginning recommendations is try to uh, have enough healthy options of food around so that the kids don't think that this is the time to go crazy on sugar. So that's sort of one important thing. I think. The other real general feedback for you, Parker, and for adults or individuals who are feeling a little bit anxious is to um, uh, schedule your holiday for what it's worth. It's kind of like, you know, during the week uh, or even weekends, normal weekends, we get, we, we have routines and routines always help us reduce our anxiety. 
And they also help our kids uh, not become irritable and go, you know, do their own thing. So I think establishing some sort of schedule will really help things go better and it'll help your anxiety as well because you will have a little bit of time to think about each of the activities. So let me give an example. Like for my, for our family, um, Christmas Eve is when we do a dinner and I make a point of it, it being very restricted to just the immediate family and maybe, you know, p partners of my kids who are adults. So it's a smaller group. We don't usually do guests. We have a lot of guests on Thanksgiving and sometimes and usually a larger group on New Year's, but Christmas is Eve is usually just the immediate family. So it, already it reduces the anxiety a little bit and it's kind of much more of a um, kind of smaller environment to group of people to contain. Also, I don't like one of the things that makes me very anxious on Thanksgiving, I avoid on Christmas, which is cooking. I don't like, you know, you always want to make sure everything's perfect if you're in charge of some aspect of it. What we do for Christmas in my family, and you might want to do something similar, Parker, is we each have some responsibility. So, you know, one person is in charge of all the, like the desserts, and that's usually my oldest daughter who is extremely health conscious. And so she will always make something that's very healthy. But also for dinner, we do this thing, which is kind of like a, I think it's, it's called raclette in Europe, but it's similar to like a Mongolian barbecue where you just, you cook your own thing on a grill. So it's sort of like everyone is participating in the meal and there's no um, one person responsible for things working out a certain way. So that helps. And then, you know, then we have like, games that we play and throughout christmas day it's also regular regulated like that it's like okay we all get up at a certain time we breakfast together we do games then we do gifts then we have a meal and it's like very scheduled and that always gives me a sense of uh, reduced anxiety because i kind of know what to expect and what's coming next right and, and then I always make sure that there's a little bit of physical activity. So we have three dogs. We will definitely go for like at least a half hour, maybe an hour long walk, hike, because we all kind of need the air as well. So I think this kind of st stuff is really helpful in just keeping everyone, um, everybody knows what's coming next and everyone kind of expects what's coming next. You might want to also add like a little, I don't know, I don't know if I should call it spiritual or like we always on Christmas kind of as just also on Thanksgiving and also on New Year's, we talk about like the things that we're grateful for for the year and what we hope to do in the new year. And those types of things are kind of makes it very friendly and happy and music helps Parker. I always have music in the background of the house, those types of things. Shannon, I'll stop there. No, I love it. I love it all. And I love that Parker wrote in and said, well, I think my mom has this in the bag and I'm going to show yeah. this to her. Uh, so I think your mom is probably a remarkable person, Parker, that I'd love to meet someday in addition to meeting you. Uh, speaking of grateful things at the end of the year, you know, that Dr. Grantuche, that we usually like to surprise you with some little thing on the last show of the year. 
So, oh. so uh, this year, and Traven has a copy of it here. You will eventually have a framed copy of this, but you know, I what can I tell you? The month has run out on me. Um, so, well, oh. I'd like to read this to you, Dr. Grant Fouchet, from this is the first of its kind from the Autism Network. It is a proclamation. Whereas Dr. Doreen Grandpuche has dedicated more than, I'm going to get emotional. Yeah. Uh, has dedicated more than 40 years of her life to improving the lives of individuals on the spectrum of autism and their families. Whereas Dr. Doreen Grandpuche has provided expertise and support to the global community for over a decade by answering questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Whereas Dr. Doreen Grampiche has fought tirelessly for the rights of individuals on the spectrum to be seen as individuals and be treated fairly, accorded respect, and have access to medical and behavioral supports. Whereas Dr. Doreen Grampiche has won the hearts and respect of parents and family members for thoughtful consideration of their loved ones and themselves. Whereas Dr. Doreen Grampiche has trained countless professionals and parents on how to support individuals on the spectrum of autism with dignity and consideration. For these and many other reasons, the Autism Network declares Dr. Doreen Grampiche Autism Advocate of the Year 2020. Oh my God. So, oh, that is um, so, so beautiful. Thank you so well, much. Oh my gosh. Uh, thank you on behalf of all of us. Um, it's And it's so very richly deserved. And we will have that to you framed nicely. That beautiful. So that, so that you may have that um, forever. Well, um, so this is this show is killing me today. <laughs> First, that I'm like, today. But thank you so much. I love it. And uh, it's so beautiful. I will put it up in uh, our new office when we have that. But also, May I have a copy so I can put it all over my uh, social media? I would love I, to share that. That is so wonderful. I, I think we have already shared that with your social media person, but I will certainly make sure that you get a copy of it as well. That's so, beautiful. Um, and and Amanda has written in and said, thank you, Dr. Grampiche. You've been answering my questions for my son for over seven years. And That's said, amazing. Uh, Parker also thank said, yay, congratulations. I have a question for Parker since we're asking questions. Uh, so Parker, I didn't, so I saw that you had um, uh, fra- seen that uh, and, and sent it over to us from Reddit. Will you also be able to, or can we connect Traven with you to send, uh, to post a response to it? on reddit because i want to make sure the person is connected with an answer um can i because i won't know where to find it can i count on you to do that parker and if we need to we can connect you with traven so that you can um have a clip of that to send that individual uh let me know parker okay so uh also want to take just a second here as uh we're also wanting to tell her to send the link to autismlive at gmail.com Okay. I think that's what Trayvon wanted me to do. All right. I also wanted to take a second for you to tell people about uh, what you're doing on TikTok, Dr. Grand Pichet. Yeah. Pretty fascinating things on TikTok. Yes. So I have started to, and I am going to spend a lot more time in 2022 on just being able to answer questions because we do get a lot of questions that, we don't have the opportunity to answer on this show. 
Um, and while there are fewer people who participate with us live on the show, the show is, is viewed uh, many hundreds of times afterwards. And so I really can't fit in. We just, Shannon and I cannot fit in all the questions and our list keeps growing. So we decided that we need other ways to answer people's questions. So I have started to um, post small videos where I will just read a question and then answer it in up to three minutes on TikTok. And I think we're planning to do a lot, lot, lot more of that on, on Facebook and on Instagram and wherever social media allows us because, uh, I mean, that's really what I want to dedicate most of my time to in the new year, as well as, of course, as you know, Shannon, I'm trying to get through writing a couple of different books. Um, there are just like, I was looking at the book you presented from Dr. Temple Grandin, and that's awesome because I also, through these shows, actually I've come to realize that there are a number of steps of things that every family should do, um, from the point of getting a diagnosis and ongoing, it's kind of like you get a diagnosis, what do you do now? And I really want to be able to um, pre present those steps so that every individual, no matter what age or what they're dealing with, has considered these different things um, as they put together a plan to help their loved one who has autism. So I really do want to work on that book, Shannon. But at the same time, I'm so, you know, I'm, I, I, um, like many others, I'm sad that skills and IBT are not publicly available to families because they're so helpful that I have been thinking, you know, it really is important, I think, in this year to also just write out the most important lessons in skills, the most important kind of techniques that we train people on, on IBT and just publish books because um, it, these things are really, really important for parents to have access to. So those are some of the things I hope you guys will look on TikTok and find Ask Dr. Green and throw your questions there because I promise I will start answering them there as well. There you go. We have uh, folks who have written in that say they need help with a 32-year-old on the autism spectrum with anger issues. And they're saying, can you help us? Yes, of course. And if you write in a little bit more detail, we can start guiding you right here. Um, you know, I don't, I, when, whether it's an individual on the spectrum or it's just a neurotypical individual, um, anger is usually an expression of, of just frustration. And we certainly have many reasons to be frustrated when we have autism. Uh, not, you know, on the one hand, there's all the issues of uh, how sensitive we are to stimuli in our environment, sensory sensitivities that cause us uh, frustration. But then a lot of times there's also frustration from not being able to communicate how we feel, what we want, what we don't want, all those types of things. And so frustration then gets expressed in the form of anger because sometimes we don't have another way 
to express the frustration. Sometimes we have learned that anger is the most effective way um, to express frustration. So a lot of times when I hear about anger issues, it's really just an expression of frustration. And we have to work to find other ways that are more adaptive to express frustration. Um, and also we have to find other ways that allow us to avoid those things that are frustrating or to tolerate them better. And then that helps the frustration go away and then that helps the anger go away. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's pretty straightforward and simple uh, procedures, not easy, straightforward and simple, but it's never easy to um, hear someone who's angry and to work with them to try to reduce their expression of anger into something more appropriate. But I'm happy to give advice if you can tell us a little bit more specifically uh, what type of anger and when is it instigated? Like what causes the individual to be angry? And, and also like what happens? What, what do people do when the individual is, expresses anger? There we go. We have another person who says that the, another sibling situation, they are 17 years old. They're asking for advice. They say that their brother is three and has autism. He's starting to speak, but he screams and shouts all the time, whether he is happy or, uh, or sad, either or. And they say it is a proper loud shout, which I, that turn of phrase, I'm wondering if they're writing to us uh, from across the pond, a proper loud shout though, and it goes straight to their head, making their head hurt. Yeah. You know, this whole, um, I guess it's very hard to respond when I don't know what the actual function of a behavior is because verbal shouting or self-stimulatory behavior like this is this is a shout it could also be the kind of what we heard earlier which is repetitive sounds that are pretty loud um and a lot, the, all of those could have different functions for instance the individual could be shouting this th little three-year-old could be shouting because they like the way it sounds, in which case it's sort of a self-stimulatory type of function. And again, it goes back to, let's get this individual some noise-canceling headphones, let's have them listen to music, let's get them doing other things that are auditory stimulating so that we can replace that need. Uh, on the other hand, it could also be that the person is shouting because they want attention. It could be happy attention, not happy attention, doesn't matter, they want attention. Um, that is dealt with in a completely different way. It could also be the person is shouting because they don't want something or they want something, right? They want access to something they can't have or they don't want to do something you've just asked them to do. All of those have different ways to deal with. So it would be important to write in and talk to us a little bit more. And this is great because your sibling is three years old and there's so much you can do at three years to stop that behavior. There's a lot of stuff you can do. So if you write in and give us a little bit more information, I can guide you through those steps. Uh, in the meantime, again, I think um, all of our kids tend to be a little bit better occupied with if they have some form of ability to put on, let's say, headphones, listen to calming music, listen to things that actually help calm them, 
And at the same time, it's cutting out their ability to hear themselves shout or scream, which is usually what maintains that behavior. Isn't that interesting? And I, you know, one of the things that I remember being just like eye opening for me as a parent after my son was diagnosed was that someone, and it could even have been you, Dr. Grant Pichet, who said to me um, that we also have to strengthen our perspective taking. And I remember somebody saying, for instance, you know, the color red, we all perceive the color red. Yeah. Um, and, and that my red might be slightly different than your red, which was just mind blowing. Well, you, you and I had this discussion. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so that it, as part of that, that, you know, sometimes we can't diagnose things like double vision in a child until they're significantly older because they think that you all see two lions when you look and exactly. see a lion. Exactly. It doesn't occur to them to say, by the way, I'm seeing two lions, are you? Yep. Um, that they got to be a certain age. And, and it's the same thing, I think, with uh, sometimes, not to say that this is the function of, of this, because as you just said, it could be a lot of different things, but that sometimes our kids don't know, like we say things to them, like, you know, use your indoor voice. How would you even know what that meant? Like, like they have no perspective, but I will tell you that one of the things that somebody gave us once they, they went to the hardware store, got a little piece of PVC pipe and two elbows. And what they did was they made a pretend phone out of it. Mm-hmm. So it was the elbow and the pipe and the elbow. And whenever my son was talking really loudly, um, they would have him put the thing up so that he could hear himself. Yeah. And then they would, then they would model the behavior, take the phone from him and they would talk loudly. Like he was listening to themselves and say loud labeling it. And then they would adjust their voice, talk softer. And they would say yeah. talking softly, give it back to yes. him and have it so that he understood what volume was. It never occurred to me. He may not even know he's talking loudly. Absolutely. And Shannon, you're absolutely right. And thank you for saying all that. A lot of time, I mean, that's actually a lesson, louder and softer. It's a lesson that we wrote in skills because a lot of kids don't have that perception. But to take it even a further step, the you, you're, you are right. They might not know what's loud or soft. But let's go a little bit further because we truly don't understand the sensory sensitivities that our kids have. We just don't. We don't know it. And let me tell you, if, if I, if I, I'll just give this example because I always try very hard to put myself in the shoes of the person who is, is experiencing sensory sensitivity and it's very helpful. And I always go back to like, you know, when I, one time when I went to Hong Kong and I had jet lag and I was exhausted and there was like lights flashing at me everywhere and I could not read anything because it's a different alphabet and the sounds the smells i'm very sensitive to smell and the sounds and the smells were so overwhelming that everything just seemed louder and uh and just you know intrusive right so the first thing i did was i just couldn't go out that often like i would go off into my room and the interesting thing is shannon that when I was in my room and I would like close all the blinds actually, because it was just too much and I needed it to be uh, dark. And, but I couldn't, 
calm down from the noise if it was quiet because there was buzzing in my ear from all those noises outside. So I really needed white noise. I needed something in my room that would help replace those noises in my ears, right? Sometimes I wonder if our kids have experienced so much sensory overload from an auditory perspective that when they do these sounds, it's because they're trying to get rid of that, that kind of buzzing and they're trying to hear their own voice in a repetitive way. Because one thing we know for a fact, we've tried this over and over, is when you prevent the child from hearing their own repetitive noises or shouting, it goes away. And so the question is, what are what is the individual trying to shut out? You know, I always go back to one of my adult, now adult kids, when he was younger, told me the hardest thing was shutting out background noise. It was like, and focusing on language. It was very, very hard because language was much more distant than certain other sounds like doors opening and closing were very, very pervasive. And that kind of thing, you know, so we have no, not, we have no idea what's going on with what the children are hearing and how, why they make these noises in order to kind of block that out. We have it's to all be fascinating to me. Yes, it, it really is. It's all fascinating. And I sort of feel like the more we all talk about all of these things, the more helpful it is, because I know for myself, I've never understood why, but I, if you're standing directly in front of me, and mm-hmm. someone is standing directly behind me, the person behind me is always louder than the person in front of me. And my ears are pointed the right direction. But if but I if someone is talking behind me, I will I'm always the person at the meeting turning around saying, Could you stop? I'm trying to listen to the thing in front of me. And that just makes me think if I have that, what might there be for other like it makes no sense physiologically why it's louder behind. But in a movie theater, I'm a miserable person. I like to sit in the very last row because if anybody sits behind me and they're crinkling a cough drop paper, forget it. I can't hear the movie. It's the weirdest thing. So anyway, we're all interesting. We're all human beings. We're all different. And the way we perceive things is different. Um, Sabine has written in though and says, hello. Hi, Sabine. And they say, my APA consultant uses PEAK, P-E-A-K curriculum. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know what's your opinion about this curriculum. Any pros and cons, please? Thank you. Are you aware of PEAK, Dr. Grandy? I am. I'm not, I haven't used it myself and I'm not familiar enough with it, but it is a a combination of some relational uh, types of intervention with verbal behavior. And from what I know, it's actually pretty good. It is scientific. It is good. And so, you know, my, my, Sabine, I guess my response to that is I always, there are a number of different people have curricula out there. Um, I would say as long as your child is progressing and learning and moving forward, then you're in a good place. And the moment that your child plateaus, then the ABA consultants should be trying to figure out if they need to change the curriculum, if they need to change their teaching technique or something else. But PEAK is one that I don't have any issues with because it does go across all levels. And so I think that you're probably in a good place. And and that and you remind me that it's something I should look into further so I can 
give a better answer next time. Thank you so much. NH uh, Pop says my four-year-old with ASD son will answer questions about facts or his environment, but doesn't answer at all about his day or life. Sometimes it's something very emotional, um, uh, emotional slash important to him. Then he recounts in detail and they want to know why that might be. Yeah. And that's so common. So that's a really common thing that happens. And um, it's actually not a bad thing. If you think about it, it's, it's the beginning of, it, it's the correct order of things. So when I'll just give you a little bit more detail about this. So when I, whenever I have kids who, uh, you know, parents will say like, I'll ask him something like, uh, what did you do today at school? And the child cannot answer at all. Like he just doesn't know how they're supposed to answer that. Then the way that we teach that skill is we start by teaching the child to talk about any kind of emotional or important event first. And that's actually the right order of things. Because if you think of any other like neurotypical child, they're not gonna, if, if an emotional or important event took place during their day, that should be the first thing they tell you, but then they go on and tell you the rest of the day, right? So like, in, for instance, the child will say, you get in the car after school and you'll be like, how was your day at school? And they'll say, well, oh my gosh, we had a fire alarm, right? That's the first thing they'll tell you. But then you'll say, oh, wow. And what else happened? And then you'll, they'll tell you, yeah, you know, I math class, this happened and I played with so-and-so and then they'll tell you the rest of the day. So it is good that your child is responding with the very important or emotional, but what you're missing is that the child needs to go on and be able to tell you the rest of the day. The way that you do that or that we teach that is to actually list the day. So in any kind of blocks that make sense to your child, it could be by, let's say if you're talking about what did they do in school. So you could say each class, you could have the recess and lunch. You could just divide it according to something. Like if it's, uh, you know, the if it's not during school, then you can divide it by morning, afternoon, evening, that kind of stuff. Whatever concept you can give your child. You can use visuals, which would be pictures of the child in those particular uh, environments. Or you could actually just have the child fill it in. Depends on the child's capability or ability to express things. Um, you will initially... Put the content in there as an example. So you'll say uh, you can do it, let's say, with a morning on a weekend. What did we do this morning? And then you can have with breakfast a picture, then we played outside a picture, then, you know, we got in the car and then we went shopping. And so you can give that kind of routine through visuals to your child. Um, and if your child is a reader, you can also write them out, which might be easier, but then your child starts to get the idea of how to sequence things in their day and how to talk about those, those sequences of activities. And then you can broaden it to periods of time when you're not there. That is one of our lessons that we, we do in skills. 
And Amanda has brought up something that you've recommended to us before that many of us have taken advantage of. She says, we used to have the teacher send home five things that my son did, which helped with his goal. You talk, to, you talk about that all the time with us. Tell them how that works. I love having just like a notebook or a little something that's like in the child's backpack or attached to it where the, the teacher can, like if you actually provide those blocks of time, the teacher can actually also fill those in so that you have something to validate your child's responses to. But I think keeping a journal that goes back and forth is super informative. Uh, We really don't know what our kids do in school all day. We have no idea, but it's very important if you can have some sort of contact on a regular basis, because then you can also write to the teacher if things happen at home that you want the teacher to know, like he didn't sleep last night. Or, you know, we had guests over and he slept really late. Or this morning he seemed to be a little sick. Or whatever it is, it's really important to have that communication. Yeah, and I I think former teacher, former classroom teacher here, a lot of times when you ask, if you just go to the teacher and say, hey, so I'd like to add this thing where you write in here and send it back and forth journal-wise, the teacher is just going to go, oh, man, I got one more thing to do, right? But if you go about it in the right way, the way Dr. Grampichet describes, it ends up being a plus for the teacher. So I always say, you know, when you're first talking about it with the teacher, if you say, hey, we're going to be setting up a reward system at home to Mm -hmm. follow what, what he does here at school. And so whether it's a token economy um, as part of the journal or just the journal, um, you know, so you say, so we want to know like how much of a reward does he earn? Teachers always love it when the parent says, we're going to be doing something at home to make sure that we get good behavior in the classroom because that just takes pressure off of them. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that you can get a teacher to, and, you know, if you say, and by the way, if you'll write just two things that I should ask him about or three things that I should ask him about on the paper, I will make sure to follow through on that and we'll give him a reward for doing that. I think you'll find that most teachers will be all too happy to, to share information back and forth. I, so often in today's system, it's, it's so hard. It, they make it so inaccessible for parents so that you don't know what's happening with your uh, child in the classroom. But the yeah. horrible other yeah. side of the equation is that teachers are like, I wish the parents would take more interest. That's right. And, and if there's a way that we could just bridge that gap, because I think Sometimes the intentions are not there, but a lot of times, especially in our community, the intentions are there in both directions. Mm-hmm. And if we can just bridge that gap and let them know that you're you're on the same team with them, I think most teachers will be more than happy. So we're here at the end of the show. This is our last live show of the year. We're not going to be back live until January 10th. Uh, so Dr. Grampichet, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a full minute. Is there anything you want to wish for the end of this year? and for Thank you. Thank you so much, Shannon. First of all, thank you, Shannon, and thanks, Trayvon. It's been so wonderful this year with the two of you doing this show. I'm amazed how we managed to go just through, you know, do this show from our homes for yet another year. But I want to thank you guys because it's the most enjoyable part of my week every week i really appreciate it i I enjoy doing this with you guys thank you to all of our viewers for sending in their questions and supporting us and and continuing to make your shows the number one podcast shannon in in the world of autism which is wonderful 
And I am so grateful to just be part of this community and to be able to uh, help share some of the things I've learned over the years of, of being part of this community. Um, I hope that we all, all of our viewers and you, Shannon and Trayvon, and, and all of us have a peaceful and healthy holiday season. And I hope very, very strongly that 2022 brings an end to the coronavirus saga that has taken over the entire world and that we can all go back to living free lives where we can travel and see our loved ones more often and not fear this illness. Um, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful that we are all able to manage the way that we have and that so many of our loved ones who have struggled with this have survived and are doing well. Um, I hope that all of our viewers enjoy the holidays, have a wonderful time, and we are so excited to see you next year. And hopefully sometime in January or February, we will be in our new studio that we're trying to bring together and we'll be able to bring you guys all sorts of new shows and fun things. I'm really excited and looking forward to it, Shannon. Me too, and thank you, Dr. Grantiche. Thank you to the amazing Traven who makes all things possible. Uh, and we are excited to see all of you. Happy, peaceful holidays and new year. We'll be back for 2022 with things that we never could have imagined before, but that are on their way to you. So until then, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Happy New Year. <laughs>